Studio Warlock presents Tales of Teladar, Legion of Stars. Chapter 1, A Truly New Beginning. As they were riding along the Great Road towards Lost Bell, Grim, Loon, and the Gentle Knight's small new company was having a fabulous time traveling. One late afternoon, the merry-faced man said something of a quite comical sort, which had sent Loon and Grimm into a moment of hysteria. Then, Loon heard a slight ding as the world froze around him. He looked down to see a menu in front of him. Transporting, Transporting to answer a summons. summons. There was a small timer counting down from ten. A little startled, Loon reached down and grabbed his bag from his saddle. After strapping everything on, he tapped the quick accept button. Loon felt a strange sensation, like his soul was being sucked out of his body as he traveled several hundred miles in a matter of seconds. He found himself standing in an open field. Based on the apparent time of a near dusk, he guessed he was still somewhere in the south. There was a fire nearby and he walked toward it. He saw it was a camp of kobolds and thus sank down into the snow. Moving in the snow, Loon sneaked along, looking like nothing more than a strange mound. As he grew closer, Loon saw there were seven kobolds in the camp. This was good, since he had six knives. Sneaking up silently, drawing two knives from his chest strap, he started tracking two of the draconic mutants that were dancing around the fire. He threw two knives and they struck true, embedding themselves deep in the kobolds' throats. The other two turned to look where the knives came from to see undisturbed snow. When they turned back, one met a sheath and the other a sword. Leaning into the attack, Loon shattered the jaw of one of the kobolds and cut through the neck of the other. The other two near him seemed frozen with fear. Loon dashed to one and sliced it to bits. The other started approaching from behind but seemed too startled to actually attack. Its delay was its downfall. It met a near-instant death in a beam of glowing white light. Then the last kobold rose, showing that it was a bit larger than the others, almost the size of a real man. He came towards Loon at speed and started aiming a spear at him. Using the sheath, Loon parried the blow, allowing the shaft to run along the wooden sheath and readying his sword. In a swift silver blur, the big kobold's head was removed. The body continued charging for a few paces and then fell into the snow, spurting blood. Loon wiped his sword before putting it away. Then he started looking around to see why he was here. He caught soft weeping coming from inside one of the tents. Investigating further, Loon saw the young dragonborn girl tied up in a corner with a little scrap of paper in her hands. Drawing a small knife, he started cutting through the hempen bindings. She hadn't stopped crying yet, so Loon didn't try talking. When all the bindings were cut, she uncurled her fingers. Trapped inside was a slip of paper. It was the Ofuda he drew up. As it was exposed to the open air, the script turned to silver and the paper dissolved. Duty fulfilled. You're Velmut's daughter, then. The little dragonborn gave a small nod. Well, let's get through the night and then back to Duvald. Loon smiled, took out his bedroll, and wrapped it around her. Then he cast light on a small rock in the tent. I'll be right back, okay? She nodded again, and Loon turned to leave the tent. Outside, he started cleaning the carnage. Ripping knives out of throats, he placed them back into his drop sheaths and put all the bodies into a smaller tent. Then Loon tended to the fire and tossed out whatever they were burning above it. After all of this, he packed fresh snow over all the now-red floor. Then he went to grab the little dragonborn. Leading her out of the stinking tent, Loon bundled her up next to the fire. As they sat, he prodded the flames with a stick. The little girl started to lean on his leg like a pillow. When she spoke, her voice wavered. Are they all gone? 
Loon stared blankly into the flames and tried to speak the same way he did to his son. Yes, they're all gone. What if more come? Then I will take care of them. It is what I do after all. You focus on sleeping, and I'll focus on the camp and the fire. Does that sound fair? She had already fallen asleep before these last words were spoken. Looking up at the stars in the night sky, Loon saw it was a soothing sight now. He then whistled the same call he always gave when he was on watch in the wild. It was a half lullaby and half remembrance of an old friend gone by. A strange bit of him hoped she would find him someday. The rest of the night was uneventful. Spotting a small hare, Loon knifed and skinned it just before dawn. By the time the tavern keep's daughter woke up, he had staked it on a stick over the fires. The dragonborn shifted to sit up, still wrapped in the bedroll. Loon handed her a small glass of water he placed next to the fire. She started to warm her hands with it. As she rose it to her lips, he quickly snatched it away. What was that for? He handed her the other clay cup. I don't think your father would approve of me giving you alcohol. Then Loon sipped the warm ale. They sat and ate in silence as the sun continued to rise. So are you like an angel? Loon scoffed lightly. <laughs> Hardly. No, I'm just a servant of the goddess Selium. Her eyes seemed to brighten. Like Father Shepherd? Loon stood and started shoving snow onto the fire. No, I'm not a conscripted servant, unlike your Father Shepherd. As the fire died, he hitched his pack back on. The girl stood and held the bedroll like a cloak of warmth. It now occurred to Loon that the kobolds would have taken her coat. It didn't matter now, since the coat would have been covered in their filth the moment they put it on. He let her keep the roll as she would need it to stay warm. All right, which way is Duvald? I don't know. Well, did you go across the river? No. Did you go along the river? No. Okay, so we should be going... Loon looked at the rising sun. That way. He pointed to the south. Well, come on then. They started to walk together and the little dragonborn started asking questions. How did you know to which direction that was? Loon started gesturing to show where he was talking about. Well, it's simple, he started. Right now is the early morning, and the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Now, if we take a look at the map, here we are. Then we can see that if you are looking east, then south is directly to your right. Thus, we should be trekking this way. It appeared that the little girl was full of questions, which Loon spent all day answering. It also appeared that they were not too far from Duvald, since as the sun set, Loon could roughly spot the glow of the town in the distance. This was good. Loon figured they would only need to spend one more night in the wild. After setting up camp and starting a small fire, the girl, apparently named Foler, laid down and went soundly to sleep. Loon whistled the same call he had for a long time, each night in the wilds. Then he played with the fire with his newfound spells. Having some fun with his time, Loon turned the flames white and then sculpted them into a small man. Then, looking around and becoming blue, it morphed into a tall, well-dressed woman of human form. Then pink in the shape of a heart, Loon settled on trying to keep it a diamond of light blue flame floating in the air with one point making contact with the wood at the base. He used this as something to focus on while meditating. When morning came, Loon again found food that unwittingly skittered past their camp. As he skinned the small beast, Loon heard a sound coming from behind him. 
He quickly snapped the sheath ring and drew his blade. Only then Loon saw that there was a white horse, and not just any white horse. Stardust? He shot up and ran to the white mare. She was still saddled. As he reached her, Loon held her massive head in his hands and hugged her. It had been something like six months since he lost her in Bainsley. However, she was a fey mare, so survival was not an issue for her. She had changed in the time they were apart, though. The hair near her hooves looked more like a dove's feathers, and her mane was almost glossy. There was a moment of silence as master and horse were reunited. Eventually, Loon pulled away and started petting her head. It's been a long time, girl. She chafed in a form of agreement. He turned and saw Velmid's daughter looking up at him. Folder, we're not going to get to Duval tonight. We're going to get there today. After a hasty breakfast, Loon started loading his bag onto Stardust's saddle and hoisted Folder up on the front of the saddle. Stepping into the stirrup, Loon hoisted himself onto Stardust's back. It should be noted now that this was no primitive Polshkin saddle that used a bit and reins. This was a saddle of elvish make and quality. In elvish culture, it was seen as a mark of immaturity on a horse for it to still have its bid and bridle. Thus, elven steeds are controlled and commanded by use of the thighs, knees, and ankles alone. It is a system where the rider commands obedience from their steed and the horse understands this demand. In order for the rider to keep grip, there is also a small post that is set in the front and two handles made of leather curving upwards. These are used to lower the body like a horse jockey for riding at speed. After mounting the first horse Loon was actually comfortable with for the past four months, he grabbed one of the forward grips and they headed off towards Duvault, at a speed easily double that of the day they spent walking. They arrived at around noon near the northwestern gate. As they approached, the guards at the palisade looked readied. Once they could make out Loon and Folder, the guards halted and let them in. As they entered the town, Loon dismounted and trusted Stardust to follow. They crossed the plaza to the scuttlebutt. Loon hauled Folder off of the saddle and ordered Stardust to stay put. He then walked into the tavern with Folder. As they entered the tavern, it was crowded and loud like before. For the first time in a while, Loon was thankful that he was a head taller than everyone in this country. He started scanning for the white dragonborn and eventually spotted his scaly head. Velmid, Loon called. The dragonborn turned and looked in Loon's direction. His eyes seemed empty as he did his work. I found your kid. His eyes lightened as Folder ran to him. She leapt into Velmid's arms as he crouched down. Loon stood there slouching with his hands in his pockets, watching the reunion. Please, sir, where did you find her? Loon ran through some mental traveling math. About fifty miles north of the town. Found her in a cobalt camp. She actually handled herself really well for a child. Velmid smiled. Did she kill Van? No. Loon held up a bit of the powdered silver paper. She did well by doing exactly what I told her to do last we met. Then the last bits of the talisman floated away into the air. After this, Loon left father and child to reunite. He walked back into the bleak cold and started off to Elsmeralda's elixirs. As he entered, the little doorbell rang. Just a minute! A shrill shriek came from the back room. No rush at all, Loon mumbled as he tried not to step on the enchanted carpet. After hearing a sharp kick and a curt curse, the gnome rocketed up behind the counter once again. 
The small gnome placed down her potions and strange brews. What can I do for you? Oh, it's you. Loon smiled as warmly as he could. Hello, Esmeralda. What do you want, firstborn? Loon stepped forward under the shag rug and up to the counter. I understand that Bowserin left before his training was finished. What are you talking about? I trained him and he left like yesterday. Loon's closed eyes parted slightly, exposing narrow slits of crystal blue. Ma'am, don't lie to me. I saw the man two days ago in Hollow Helm. Alright, you got me, Esmeralda growled. What do you want for the potions? Candles? You paid a lot, what do you want? Loon stepped back and stood straight. Oh, nothing much. I just wanted to take his place. She scanned Loon up and down. Well, you did pay the money. Fine, take his place. Get here opening time tomorrow. Thank you, ma'am. Then the bell jingled again as Loon left the store. Ideas bouncing around his head, Loon started off for the guardhouse, with Stardust following closely. Upon arrival, he found the guard station in much the same condition as he last left. There were wounded everywhere. Nurses ran back and forth between beds, tending to what they could. The injuries looked like they were all from the last attack that Loon and his old company helped with. He walked through the corridor made of beds and worked his way to Sergeant David's office. Knocking on the door, Loon heard, Yes, come in. So Loon opened the door. When he entered the room, the furniture was even more sparse than before. Even the crates were gone now, and the sergeant was sitting on the floor with paperwork in his hands. Loon stood there, silent for a few moments. Hello, sir? David jumped, or rather did the sitting equivalent. By the nine! He sprang to his feet. When did you walk in? A couple of moments ago. Oh, what do you need? And where is your party? Didn't you leave town a few days ago? Loon cleared his throat. <clears throat> I did. I was pulled here by some divine intervention from Felmid's kid. Regardless, I'm not going back, since I've developed other plans, but for now, I have a proposal to make with you. Okay, what's your deal? I have recently been blessed with more divine power, allowing more healing capabilities and no longer requiring sleep. I would like to serve as your main night watch, and call it a helping hand in the medical bay. Sounds reasonable. A watchman who can't feel fatigue would be nice. What do you want for the help? Well, I only came up with the idea recently, but I want you to take care of my horse. Find someone who knows how to take care of the proper steed and get them tending to her. That courier just recovered. You should do. Fine, you have a deal. I expect you to start your healing duties immediately. Absolutely. Being perfectly honest, I would have done that bit without your say. Loon turned and opened the door out of the office. Good day, sir. After he left the office, Loon found a nurse he worked with the last time he was in the barracks. After asking her to lead him to the worse-off people, he requested she get more nurses to assist him. While he was mumbling a prayer, silver, wispy tendrils stretched out to the battered guards and flowed into their wounds. Loon had kick-started an advanced healing process, but the other nurses would still be helpful. As he rose, the nurses had come back. Heal these men, as if their injuries were normal. Disregard dislocations and fractures. Work as fast as possible, or the magic will wear off. As the nurses had their hands full, Loon went to the most wounded man. 
He had a scar running deep across his chest. Loon placed his hand on the guard's shoulder. I will not lie to you, Loon whispered. This will hurt quite a bit. He tore a rag from a hanging sheet and started coiling it. Bite down on this, Loon instructed. The soldier did as ordered. Loon placed his hand on the guardsman's chest. Opening his status menu, Loon tapped cure wounds for both of his spell charges. Prepare yourself, young man. The guard bit as the spell took effect. There was a clicking of bone mending, then the slimy sound of muscle and skin binding together. The man grabbed the hand Loon had on his chest and surprisingly held it down. Radiance poured out of Loon's hand and throughout the man's veins. After a moment, the spell ended. Loon removed the rag from the guard's mouth and pushed him back from getting up. Rest, kid. The healing worked, but I don't want you ripping anything open again. The guard complied and laid back down. As Loon passed the nurses still healing the other three guards, he tapped one on the shoulder. Make sure that man doesn't get up. The nurse nodded in understanding, then went back to helping the others. Loon went about strapping bandages to random soldiers, running off of his survival knowledge. Then he heard Stardust, Winnie, and Buck. So we walked out to investigate. When Loon stepped outside, he saw the courier trying to lead Stardust. Whoa, whoa, girl! Sir, what in the hells are you doing? Loon asked. The man turned with the lead in his hands. I was trying to put this bit in the mouth to walk it back to the stables. Loon simply rolled his eyes. Stardust, this man is here to take care of you. Listen to him and do as he says. Loon then turned to the courier. Talk to her and give her commands. Don't use that th thing. Just command her. And do not think of writing her. She will throw you off faster than many can blink. All right. The courier threw the lead away. Stardust, follow. As the man walked away, Stardust followed at the trained distance. Loon nodded with a touch of pride in his horse, so then went back in to help the nurses. After a long day, Loon walked to the general storehouse and started buying things from the two lovely proprietors. The Ersek stockyard was as full as ever and did not look like it had depleted in the past week. Loon walked up to the door and knocked. After rapping the door a few times, the short human man answered the door. The old Mr. Arasek looked up and up until his eyes met Loon's. Oh, hello, young man. You're one of the gentlemen that helped save my son, right? Say, where's that paladin friend of yours? We had a touch of a falling out. Regardless, now I'm here, and I just finished healing others. A smile spread across the old man's face. Oh, fantastic. Please, come in. Loon stepped into the actual storeroom of the stockyard. Inside was rather pleasant, with a counter in front and a direct view of barrels, crates, and burlap bags storing almost anything you could imagine. Mr. Arasek proceeded to walk swiftly past Loon and behind the counter. Now, what can I do for you? Loon approached the counter. Well, actually, I was going to ask you that. He pointed to the cart in the middle of the stockyard. Like maybe loot that abandoned dwarf's cart? The old man looked at Loon like a bird sizing up another fowl. His head was tilted as he scanned Loon up and down. I wouldn't mind, he started. But if you get caught, it's your own fault. Loon smiled. Then it's a deal. You got two crowbars you don't care about? 
Loon stepped up to the fortified dwarven cart. The two crowbars had caused grooves to appear in the snow where he walked. He stopped around ten feet from the cart and put down the bars. He pulled a silver coin out of his purse and threw it at the cart. A wave of electricity blasted out of the cart when the coin made contact and went out in a five-foot radius. Hearing a fizzle and a pop, Loon assumed that that trap was disarmed and thus approached the cart with the bars. He walked to the sealed back gate and lodged the two crowbars in the seam. As he started torquing on the bars, mechanical springs popped out of place and the doors locked harder. Loon placed one foot on the lower bar and pried up the other bar with both of his hands. Eventually, the doors bent and warped open. While the mechanism was still intact, he could get through the broken superstructure. Creeping in, the loon started tapping ahead with one of the bars and knocked out a few more traps until it hit a manacle trap that wrapped around the bar. He used the other bar until he was satisfied that all was found. Entering the cart fully, Loon found two chests filled with alchemical oddities. As he looked, he swiped a few books and some other trinkets, including goggles of night for David the blacksmith, some books of alchemic symbols, infinite water skins, and a bag of holding, and a few charge bands for spells. He then walked back to the main storehouse after using mending to set the door back. Arriving at the waterhouse, Loon dropped off four of the five water skins and then two crowbars. By this time, it was around nightfall, so Loon went back to the guardhouse and found a position to watch from. He then sat on the remains of a watchtower and stared out at the endless fields all night, barking at others to wake up occasionally. Before dawn, Loon hopped down from his perch and went back to the barracks. He gathered some of the guardsmen that were mildly wounded. In a circle, they all prayed as the moon set. A silver aura surrounded them and their wounds stitched together, while their heads were bowed. Loon then walked back to the guard that had the gaping chest wound. He was still awake in his bed and looked like he had not slept. The nurses had propped him up with pillows. Loon sat on a chair, or a near facsimile, that was placed near him. Hello again, lad. The young warrior turned his head. Hello, sir. We are going to have to do what we did yesterday again. The guard shifted in bed. I'm ready to do it. Loon stood. All right. What's your name, kid? Woodsmith. Matthew Woodsmith. Well, Matt, same thing as before. Loon tore off another strip of fabric from the wall and placed it in Matthew's mouth. Matthew bit hard and nodded. Loon placed his hand on Matthew's chest and opened his status menu. Ready? Matthew nodded. Loon tapped two charges for cure wounds. His hand started glowing again as he pressed it into Matthew's chest. The reaction was a bit tamer this time, but still violent by most standards. After it was done, Loon rose and walked away, bidding Matthew goodbye. Loon then went off to Esmeralda's to learn. The training was hard, especially with Esmeralda being a hard-headed teacher. He spent most of the day with a stylus and rocks etching in symbols. He also handed Esmeralda the books, and she was taken aback. Where did you find these? Loon was hunched over another rune doomed to fail. I raided that guy Fladax's cart. I thought you could translate it. She threw on what looked like protective gear and cracked the books open, and nothing happened. That's strange. Why didn't he booby trap it? There was something like thirty traps in the cart, Loon mumbled absently. I think you may have thought it was enough. <laughs> she then proceeded to translate everything into a different book. Loon kept working on his own symbols and made little to no progress. Towards the end of the day, a symbol of explosion sparked a bit, but that was all of his progress. 
At the end of the day, Loon walked to the smithy to give David the goggles of night. Entering the smithy, it was dark as before, with the only light being from the forge's flames. After taking a few steps, Loon was met by a pair of green eyes that appeared right next to him. Yeah. What do you want? Loon composed himself. Don't do that. Now I know how everyone feels around me. Here, take these. Loon held up the goggles of night. The tabaxi quickly took the goggles and put them on. Ah, yes. This will do very well. How can they repay you? Do you have any silver on hand? Yes. Make some steel gauntlets that look like claws and silver the tips like knives. It will be done. Then Loon took leave of the smithy and headed back to the scuttlebutt for a daily meal. The tavern seemed to be as live as the day prior. There were bards and people dancing off in the lowered floor, and people all over the rest of the tavern. There were families and couples eating dinner. Loon walked to the bar and ordered food. After a moment, his rabbit stew was dropped on the counter. Loon reached into his purse to pay. Velmet scoffed. Please, sir. Anyone who saves my daughter need not pay. Thanks. Loon eyed his depleting currency. Loon ate his dinner in silence. Then he rose and left for his watch. The next three weeks passed with a similar routine. Watch, heal, work, dinner. Loon's first lesson was in learning, so that work went well. Eventually, he was able to make an exploding rock, a rock that made no noise when thrown. By the end of the three weeks, he could also draw a mark that caused ice to spread around it, a mark that filled an area with earth, and lastly, a small mark that made whatever was marked on it mend itself unharmed. Eventually, Matthew healed fully, and Loon could use his spells on others. Matthew also took up a perch on the tower opposite Loon on nightly watches, and they sat trying to see kobolds together in silence. But all good things must come to an end. After all, Loon had orders. The three weeks ended, and the gloves were done. During the time they were being forged, Loon requested small holes be placed in the tips under the silver claws, and after studying with Esmeralda, he had learned how to make minor poisons. He had devised it so that the small glass vials of the stuff could be fitted into the gloves and broken when attacking. In the end, he got some parting gifts from everyone that he bonded with. Esmeralda gave him copies of the Dwarven Alchemy books. He also obtained a small list of villages that were off the Great Road, but still cut through the wild country for the townmaster. After all was said and done, Loon had to leave. He rode Stardust out of the north gate and cleared the palisade. Once clear of the town, Loon bent down and whispered in Stardust's ear, Run. Stardust lowered her head and tucked into a galloping position. Loon grabbed the two leather grips and tucked his body down. He had lowered his overall weight by packing everything non-magical into his bag of holding, and now Stardust was running at her full potential. The planes rushed by as they ran along the road. Loon buckled his knees into Stardust, and she started veering north. A distant roar was heard, and lightning cracked forty feet to Loon's left. Loon leaned down and got a handful of snow. Lightning struck to his right. He packed the snow into a ball and cast light on it. Lightning struck five feet behind him. Loon held up the ball and willed himself forward. The ball stayed in motion as a brilliant, glowing flare, but Loon and Stardust ran through the winter fey and were now over a hundred feet away. They had outrun the dragon. 
Loon started laughing like a madman. Eventually, he stopped several miles outside of the presumed domain of the dragon and raised one hand in an insulting gesture. The past has been burned, Loon thought. The future is mine to craft. At that, he steered Stardust towards Hereford. Well, that's the end of chapter one of Legion of Stars. This is not based on a D&D campaign anymore. It is rather based on what happened to Loon theoretically after he left the party. All of the voices are done by Alex Peer, and all of it is written by Alex Peer as well. Teladar, however, is still created by one Luke Warner. If you've made it this far, I'd like to give out a small thanks, because you might have heard there are some weird choppy edits and uh, different recording sounds throughout the entire episode. That's primarily because I recorded this over a series of days rather than a single night like I normally do. It's a bit strange getting back into recording these. But eventually we will figure out a system and all of this will sound crisp and smooth like it did before. I almost forgot, uh, we still have a Patreon here at Studio Warlock. If you'd like to throw $5 out, we can give you all of the script to all of these episodes. And uh, you'll also help me slowly make this a bit more professional. But until then, Studio Warlock would like to say, safe travels, and happy hunting. Studio Warlock hopes that you've enjoyed this program.